We are outdoor ladies who hunt, fish, camp, and more, all while working in conservation. I am Julia Plugi with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. And I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I am Tana Wagner with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. And we want to see you outdoors. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. So this morning, uh, as I was walking out the door, early morning, and as the sun was coming up, sneaking up for the day, I was greeted by, yeah, a barking red fox. Fairly common for me to walk out our back door and hear, like, I think I spooked that red fox, but either way, it, it barked at me and wouldn't stop. I'm like, what the heck? And then uh, chattering geese that are coming from a pond about a quarter mile away, and they were ex- like they were expressing these. The songbirds were calling for mates, uh, and then there was my large Antolian shepherd plowing me over with excitement. Uh, you know, the wildlife rise with the sun, expressing appreciation for their natural world. Well, except for that red fox, I'm pretty sure that critter yells at me every morning. I honestly think I just spook it, and then it moves on with for the day. So we truly are blessed to be surrounded by such beauty, uh, you know, whether you're in Kansas, Iowa, Nebraska, or maybe you even listen to us from Missouri all the way up to North Dakota. You know, I feel like spring is a season to renew our, our appreciation for nature. But, you know, I feel like spring is a, it's, it's a good time to evaluate our own conservation efforts. So, Tana, welcome. It's been a long time since you and I uh, have been together for a conversation episode on podcast. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing so well. I'm um, off the heels of Kansas BOW and uh, can't believe I'm saying this, but happy to be back in the office and um, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful event. It's great to see you, Julia. We both just had the busiest winter, and then it led right into a very busy start to spring. So excited for today's conversation! Right, and it, it's it's May first, or it's right after May first. By the time this releases, it's it's the beginning of May, and I want to know, like, since the start of May first, beyond BOW, I suppose you could probably use BOW, but what is something you have done? in the name of conservation? Dun, dun, dun. Well, one of the things I've done is I have purchased my spring turkey permit in Kansas because as you all know, the sale of hunting licenses and permits goes back to funding our uh, wildlife conservation in our state. So, um, you know, that's a really big deal and one easy way you can give back to conservation. Another way is that I have been talking to some of the local leadership in the town where I live about some of the conservation programs that we at KDWP and some of our partners offer. Um, Things like OWLs or outdoor wildlife learning sites to incorporate the school system and get them out into an area um, that is developed for outdoor learning and connecting those students to conservation. Also some of our habitat programs as well. So, um, and then our education programs like Hunter Education in the Schools or uh, National Archery in the Schools, Student Air Rifle. So just um, trying to be an advocate within my local community and getting us connected with those programs. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Diverse in what you're doing, both at the state and within your community level. So, you know, for me, 
I happened to um, reach out to actually our guest today. I think it was like early Sunday morning, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully she was out of bed, but I'm like, Monica, I have a picture. I forwarded a picture of a snake that just happened to be in um, our pasture near Palmyra, Nebraska. And my husband sent it to me. They're out there looking for scouting out land for turkey hunting. And he's like, it's a rattle. I'm like, I don't think that's a rattle. Or like, Grant, there's rattlesnakes not, I mean, they're not very far from Lincoln Eagle, Nebraska area. But I was like, I don't think I go, is it rattling? He goes, yeah. I'm like, mm, okay. So I have a little bit of knowledge for, that my colleagues have shared with me. So I, I still don't think it. So I sent it to Monica and I said, Monica, is this a rattler? And she like instantly pried. Like I can feel like what's going through her brain. Oh my gosh, I got to tell these people again. It's not a rattler. Like constantly. But she's like, no, that was a big, big bull snake. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And, and I had that conservation education, both with my husband and everyone that was around me seeing this picture. I'm like, leave it alone. You don't have to hurt that snake. It's not going to hurt you. And I'm like, let it eat the nasty rodents that are in that pasture as well. And uh, I was like, instantly, I remembered that knowledge that I had learned from while in this position I am now, that that rattling noise that they're using is imitating a rattlesnake so that it will protect itself. So I thought that was my moment of conservation of teaching those around me, like, don't kill it. It's not a rattlesnake. It's doing more good than harm. And then the other thing of that story was, uh, he said, yeah, there's like three of them. I'm like, love is in the air for these snakes. <laughs> uh, he wasn't excited about that conversation. But, you know, I was like, this is so freaking cool. Uh, but anyways, I, I thought that was like a good segue into our, our guest today, Monica McCubery. Uh, welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. She is our, our um, here in the state, like all knowledge of snakes. And I think every time I see her, she's doing some type of snake program or related to. Uh, she recently did a snake program for our outdoor discovery program for like thousands of kids. And they're always like, it's one of the more popular um, activities because they get to learn about the native snakes of Nebraska. But welcome back to the microphone. It's not your first time here, but uh, we have a lot of new listeners. So if you would like introduce yourself and your position within Nebraska Game and Parks and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. So, uh, like she said, my name is Monica McCoopery, and Julia, was I on the very, like, first podcast that you guys did? Oh, yeah. Like, like Hunting she, While Pregnant? Yeah, she was. That I don't like to, one. like, relive, but... Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, she was, like, Hunting While Pregnant. Yeah. So, uh, drop back, go back to them, <laughs> to that conversation, and, and while you're listening to her story, which is really cool to hear, <laughs> you'll also be able to tell how our podcast has evolved since then. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so thanks for having me back. Um, so like she said, I am like the all-knower, I guess. I don't want to say expert, but I am definitely know a lot about snakes and reptiles and amphibians. Um, so my position within Nebraska Game and Parks is wildlife education specialist. So um, mostly in my career, I talk to people about connecting them with nature, very similar to what you and your colleagues do, Julia. Um, we just do it a little bit differently. So ours is more um, making a connection to that ecological education. So talking to 
people about natural resources. And um, sometimes where their first connection to nature is, I'm sure you guys have that feeling too, that they've never done a lot of these things, though those outdoor skills or hunting or fishing. We take that uh, to pollinators or snakes or getting kids bird watching or going on a hike for the very first time. And not just kids, but adults too. So um, that's kind of what we do. Uh, my specialty is just happens to be reptiles and amphibians. And I did love your story. Um, the thing that I took from your story was that you asked if I was out of bed. And, you know, I have a four-year-old, so absolutely I was out yeah. of bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that morning I'd seen you might have been already head toward the wildlife safari. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. But I did love <laughs> Love that story. I love that you asked me and you like, don't kill them. It's yeah. great. I love hearing that. So I would, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised that if it had been a rattle or just, be, but I mean, it, it's quite a few miles away from where they had, they, they live in Nebraska, but I mean, times are changing, right? So it, it, it could be possible. Yeah. It's like, and if it was, I'm like, oh my gosh, don't kill it. We got to tell like every biologist in the state of Nebraska that this snake has moved, but that would have been a cool moment too. Yeah. Anyways, we'll move on to this week's conversation. <laughs> yeah, so Monica, you've clearly been on our radar for quite some time for very good reason. You do so many cool things. But um, one of the cool things that you've done recently was you wrote an article titled The Women of Conservation. And this was in honor of Women's History Month. It was published back in March. We've had a crazy spring circuit, so we're just now getting to you. But um, in that article, you highlight many pivotal moments in conservation that were led by women. And we are so here for that and so excited to talk about it. So, you know, as we're having this conversation today, think about what steps you've taken to conserve our natural world and what you've done to keep the birds singing and the foxes barking and all the other things. So, um, Monica, please tell us about the article and, you know, what led you to have this conservation conversation? Yeah, well, actually, I was trying to write an article about animal weirdos, and I just wasn't having it. I just couldn't think of anything. And then I looked at my calendar, and I was like, oh, next week, March 8th, is going to be International Women's Day. And I kind of thought I had a little moment, and I was like, why are we not writing about women? And so um, I, that's kind of what sparked it. I just uh, really wanted to write about women in conservation and how they've shaped conservation, and what better time to talk about that than March. Uh, so we talk about people like the forefathers of conservation and the grandfather of wildlife conservation. We've heard of John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt and people like Aldo Leopold, but what about Molly Beatty? or Anne La Bastille. Um, we don't hear about those very often. And um, even though what Aldo Leopold and John Muir have done um, was very immense and like you mentioned, like pivotal, um, women were right there with them. Um, however, they've often been overlooked, um, even though their dedication is simply um, as much as them. Uh, we just don't really talk about them, but they've definitely shaped the conservation world. And um, I'd like to talk about that today. We're excited to chat with you about it for sure. Um, so this article can be found online as well at magazine.outdoornebraska.gov. Um, and we'll be sure to include a link in the comments as well. All right. So one of the first women that you kind of dive into is Rachel Carson. And I think of all of the women that you highlighted, Rachel Carson might be the name that people have at least heard of the most. Tell us about Rachel Carson and her contributions to conservation. 
Yeah, I definitely think Rachel Carson's probably the most well-known, maybe just because of what she has written. Um, So if you've ever been familiar with the book Silent Spring, that's kind of been uh, something, if you've ever taken a wildlife class, you might have heard about that. Uh, But basically, Rachel Carson, she was born in 1907 in Pennsylvania. She basically developed her love of nature from her mother, another woman, by the way. Um, So uh, she was a published writer, actually by the age of 10. So we could definitely see that she's going to be doing something in this world. World. She got a master's in zoology. She went to Johns Hopkins University. She wrote a bunch of brochures for like the U.S. Bureau of Fisheries. She was the second woman that they ever hired. Um, but she wrote a lot and eventually she worked her way up to becoming the editor-in-chief of all publications for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, she wrote many books during her time as well. Um, she had some family issues where she had to actually forego getting her doctorate degree to take care of her family. Um, but that did not stop her from doing uh, amazing things. So she wrote lots of books, but really silent spring was the thing that got things moving. Um, I've ever heard of the, and I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm just going to use the acronym DDT. Um, so it was a synthetic <laughs> chemical. It's Good like, work. it's yeah. like 50 letters long. <laughs> oh yeah. When I was like, I'm not typing that out on this script. That yeah, and I, I wanted to to sound so professional and sound so cool, but I literally just can't pronounce well, it. Well, that would have took so, a whole page. So I know. Right, yeah. <laughs> DDT. Uh, it we'll is. go with DDT. Yeah. So it's a synthetic chemical, actually pesticide that people used after World War II. Um, it was effective, but the thing that we found is that it moved itself up in the food chain. So even though it's for insects, um, if a mouse ate an insect and then a bird ate the mouse, and then um, it just would move up in that food chain, and basically it almost caused the extinction of our bald eagles. It made their shells lose calcium. So when the females would go to sit on their eggs, they would crack their eggs and then no more babies. So um, something had to be done. She saw the horrible uh, influence in the ecosystem from this DDT stuff. Uh, So she wrote this book, uh, Silent Spring, which kind of challenged that use of that synthetic chemical. Um, And basically this led to the U.S. in 1972 officially banning the use of it. Uh, Unfortunately, it's still used in other countries, but the U.S. is one of those leaders that said, nope, we're not using this because we see what it does. Um, and also it caused her whole movement and her ideas, all of her books and her publications. It led to the development of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, which now is in charge of taking care and making sure we have clean water and clean land for all uh, United States people. Can you just imagine like back in the day when she uh, is a leader, you know, or we would like to see her as a leader of, the, of all these movements, and she likely was... I'm just going to guess she was one of the only females in that building in that era that uh, wasn't necessarily considered a secretary, quote unquote, right? Yeah. And so for her to be able to power through and to be the leader in such a movement as to ban DDT, that's that's extremely powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, this wasn't, uh, you know, 1940. This was 1972, which I want to say was 30 years ago, but it's definitely not anymore. It's like 50 now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, it's more than that. <laughs> definitely more than 30 years ago. But like we're one of the things you I want you all to listen for is when these women were taking positions and becoming directors. And it's not it's very it's in the last 50 years. Right. And like, how sad is that? We were able to vote in 1909, and we don't get anything until 1970, 1980, right. 1990. So, um, well, even since I took my position and the role that I'm in, and that was 16 years ago, almost 16 years ago, that 
the the females in the conservation role, I would say, has more than tripled, and even just within the last ten years. So, yeah, um, the times are changing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Julia, I was just thinking this kind of reminds me of a conversation we had with another guest, uh, Amy Bousman. And Amy at that time was serving as a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, but she is now working for us here at KDWP in the education section. So um, big shout out to Amy and congratulations to her. We're so excited to have her. But she was talking about uh, consuming insects and um, that same idea of those toxins kind of moving up in the food chain and in the food web. Um, Amy talked to us about that and about the biomagnification. So it was kind of cool to see um, those ideas that Rachel Carson expressed so early on and how that's applied to um, even the conversations that we're still having with guests today and about the way that we consume food and how the food industry works or just how our conservation works. So just a fun little connection there. Our next spotlight uh, in, in Monica's article is Molly Beatty the first female director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Agency. Uh, she was truly a political leader. What conservation efforts did Molly lead? Well, like you said, Bill Clinton officially appointed her in 1993, by the way. I mean, I was only four, but like 1993. Yeah, um, I was more than four. <laughs> sorry. Uh, but yeah, he appointed her the first female director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Agency. Um, due her time, she implemented more than 100 wildlife conservation plans and created over 15 uh, wildlife refuges. So a woman did this. Uh, one of her biggest conservation uh, efforts that she did was that she was physically responsible for the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone National Park. So putting all political views aside, um, being able to do that, she actually physically carried this wolf like in her hands up into Yellowstone and delivered it and was in, responsible for that reintroduction uh, on January 12th, 1991. Um, but then she again, she had that really strong political background. So she saw the Endangered Species Act, the um, the loopholes in it, the spaces in between. It was something where she really needed to say this needs to be strengthened. So she was someone that was the fore uh, mother in doing that. And then she also created created an 8 million wildlife um, acre wildlife refuge in Alaska that is currently named after her. So you can go see her and visit her um, in spirit there. Nice. Monica, I love that you included a quote from her um, in your article as well. And that quote is, in the long term, the economy and the environment are the same thing. If yep. it's unenvironmental, it is uneconomical. That is the rule of nature. And how powerful is that, especially today when we see so much perceived separation between those two things. And and we all know on this podcast and the She Goes Outdoors family that that is not the case. So Molly had it right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. The next woman that you highlighted in this article is Anne Bastille. Tell us about Anne. She was a boss, um, <laughs> basically. Um, Drop the mic. <laughs> she was uh, one of those fierce conservationists. So um, she actually built a cabin by herself. She wanted to live in the middle of the Adirondack Mountains. She built this 12-foot by 12-foot uh, space that she built with her own hands, and she lived there. Um, so she was one of those people that was physically boots on the ground in the middle of the wilderness. So she um, wrote a bunch of books called Woods Woman. Uh, they're still pretty popular today, but basically she wrote them with her typewriter sitting in the middle of a canoe, um, and that's where you could find her most days. Uh, she also is one of those women that hated skirts, so I really feel with her because oh, yeah. I 
hate skirts. I do too. Um, <laughs> not my thing. Nope. Um, but she said they got in the way. So she was one of those people that kind of broke those dress codes for women. We didn't have to wear skirts at the time. We could wear pants. We could wear boots. Uh, we could like very scarcely have our ankles showing at the time. So that was something that was awesome. Um, but yeah, she was a boss. She did her own thing and she uh, was the first ever National Audubon Society tour guide. So she physically took men and women out into the Adirondack Mountains with 6 million acres. Um, she guided backpackers and canoers from that time. She was the first woman ever to do that. She wrote like 150 magazine articles, two dozen scientific papers, and 16 books. So all about her um, her time in the wilderness and, and what she felt and her conservation to help that as well. And not only did she do that in a typewriter, but <laughs> she did that in a typewriter inside of a canoe. Yeah. Tiana, I don't know about you, but some, I just struggle holding my <laughs> cell phone and a tablet and a kayak and, and continue to paddle and float and not tip over. Can you imagine holding a typewriter in a canoe no I seriously flipped my canoe like last year and it was the most <laughs> embarrassing thing I was in like three feet of water I lost all my fishing tackle it was a giant mess so I can't <laughs> imagine how she was able to do this and not to diminish any of her conservation work at all because that is of course the most important but uh, the article includes a photo of Anne and um, she was a fashion icon also. Yeah. She didn't need any skirts. That is the coolest, most iconic picture of her ever. Her and her dog um, in that cabin in the Adirondack Mountains. So just a cool lady. Somebody that I wish I could sit down and have lunch with for sure. And I hope that women see that because when I think people think about like, what do you, if someone said, what's a wilderness person look like or someone that would work in the field or a park ranger, I want people to think that. I don't want them to think of a man in boots and sitting in the middle of nowhere. I want them to think of like that image in their head. Those young girls out there that, that are thinking about this career or maybe don't even know about this career. I want them to see that picture. And out there surviving on yeah. their own, off of the wilderness, off of nature, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so you had two other ladies that you focused on in the article. Uh, tell us about them. Yeah, so uh, Marty was a, a.k.a. Marty Marie. She was born in Seattle. Um, she actually moved to Fairbanks, so a lot of the stuff that she did was actually in Alaska. Um, so she was very young when her family moved to Alaska, but she was the first ever woman to graduate from what is now known as the University of Alaska with a degree in business administration. Uh, that same year, this sounds amazing, by the way, that same year she married her husband, Olas, I think, not Olaf, like Frozen, but like Olas. Um, for their honeymoon, they spent eight months going on a 550-mile journey to uh, research caribou. Like, I don't wow. know where you find those men, but like, I, wow. no offense to Matt, but like, I hope he's not listening, but I want that. Like, yeah. I want to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. And that was team building. Let me tell you, there was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, this is what you got into, and this is now your honeymoon. Yeah, right. So. And then, I mean, there might have needed to have a therapist afterwards, but you're in nature, <laughs> right? Nature is your therapy. Yeah, so uh, she was another person that was really political in her um, conservation. So she worked to promote Alaska and like the, um, she has about 100, and 100 miles of some, 100 million acres, sorry, of unspoiled Alaskan land that she set aside and devoted her time to so that big companies and industries didn't come in for oil um, or to develop that land. And then in 1998, by the way, 1998, not that long ago, no. mm -hmm. um, Presidential Medal of Freedom was a to her by Bill Clinton. So she's a awesome. very important lady. 
So yeah, Molly was a pretty cool lady, yeah, right? She was. She, and yeah. not only are we fascinated on in addition to her uh, her time in Alaska with her her new spouse, right? She did a phenomenal work and and I I love how the fact that a president at the time um highlighted that, right? It made that a special moment within our nation. And that's a second female that yeah. Bill Clinton. I think uh, Bill had it down, man. Right. He knew right? what he was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Like putting his other stuff aside. Like he, <laughs> he saw the value that women had um, yeah. in the conservation world. In, in conservation in general, right? Yeah. Because we don't see, I mean, to be honest, like at the national level, we don't see, you know, we have Rawa coming on in mm-hmm. other edu- efforts coming from the state up, but to have that recognized by um, our nation's president, it, it showcases to the entire United States that this is valuable and a female is doing it. Yes. All right. And then there was one more quick one. Her name was Herma Bagley. She was born in Iowa, but we won't, you know, okay. We love Iowa, but Rachel's um, not here to defend. Yeah, <laughs> we okay. love Iowa. Uh, she was born in Iowa very early on 1896. She went to the university of Idaho. She was a school teacher. She decided she liked it, but she wanted something more. So she was the first ever permanent female park naturalist in Wyoming in 1931. Um, and then she promoted as a full-time ranger and naturalist. The only thing is she had a little accident in 1933, which took her out of the field, but she was in a desk job for the national park service that did not stop her. She actually um, wrote a book. She co-authored a book, the first ever plants of the uh, Yellowstone area. And then what she did, uh, she also discovered a snake. So I like this lady, the rubber boa snake. She was contributed to uh, finding and identifying the first person to identify this rubber boa snake. So um, even with her injury, she still was a boss too. She discovered a snake. So I got to know the rubber boa. Rubber boa. Look it up. Okay. It's... They look like a like a rubber snake. Okay. Very cool. So what I figured, I'm like, I'm thinking of a toy, but... Kind look, of. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. How big is a rubber boa uh, snake? I don't... Oh, gosh. It's not Nebraska. I don't want to say. Okay. It's... I won't. I maybe won't two that feet, if that. Okay. So oh, smaller than I... But I, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Okay. Thing. I don't know anything about those. I'll head up the real <laughs> Google machine. Okay. Thank one. you. So one of the really cool things um, that I'm noticing about these women is just the diversity in their backgrounds. You know, um, Herma had gone in with the plans of being a school teacher. So she was kind of on the educator track. Um, Margaret Murray or Murray, excuse me, was um, went into a degree with business administration. Yeah. And then even um, Molly Beatty's degree was in or her background was in philosophy in addition to forestry. So just kind of a cool look into all the different avenues. We talk all the time when we chat with women on this podcast about like, how did you get into converse, uh, conservation? Because so many times our career paths are not nearly as linear as we think they're going to be when we're young. And also just the diversity and perspectives that that brings by having these women come in with so many different backgrounds. So I think that's a really cool thing to highlight and something that I hope we continue to see, you know, in the in the modern era as we invite people into our agencies and into our conservation organizations. I also want to, I don't want to say this, but I also think or assume that maybe that was what the society has kind of showed. Like when um, Herma was like, I'm going to be a school teacher. That's kind of what women did at that point. And then they realized I can do other things. So they not only, you know, wanted to break those societal norms, but they, they found out how cool conservation is and they wanted to be in that world. So it's awesome that they said, nope, I'm going to go do some other stuff. So um, I absolutely agree with you on that. 
Love to see that. And, you know, I think we've got some time. You went on to highlight um, some of the local folks that are making a difference in Nebraska as well and gave them a fun shout out. Uh, it's cool to kind of look back at the past and then see the the path that those folks have carved out for other women in the field, what that looks like today. So do you want to give a quick shout out to some of the other ladies you had pictured? Yeah. Uh, one of them is uh, one of the people on my team, Jamie Bachman. I hope you, you listen to this because I feel like you're Anne LaBastille. You are a boss. You kayak with your dog. You like can um, work a tractor. Like these are things I cannot do. I can kayak, but not the tractor thing. But um, she she's always telling me about stuff that she did and she's doing stuff with her own bare hands. So if any one of these women's like that, that would be Jamie Bachman. Yeah. So, um, but she also is an amazing educator. She works... Um, very highly with um, younger audiences. So those very early school, uh, about two to five, two to 10 year olds, uh, working with them and just, again, developing that social and emotional connection to nature. So not only is she a boss in the wilderness, but she's a boss in education. So, um, and then Megan Mannery is another one in our park system. Uh, she works in the kind of the North Platte area. If you're listening from Nebraska, uh, she does everything. And I've never, ever, ever once seen her complain or say, I don't want to try something. Every time I look at her, what she's doing, she's trying something new. Um, she is one of those people that wants to physically be there and be in that thing and learn about it to be able to teach it better. And she's also another educator. So, and there's a lot more in Nebraska that I'm sure you guys can think of, but those are two that I highlighted in the in the article that I immediately thought of. Yeah. Megan um, has been on this. Sh- uh, we've interviewed Megan a couple of times and one was about her backpacking experience, but you're uh, spot on on Jamie. She is the boss mm-hmm. for many reasons. Yeah. And then uh, Megan has, she is very diverse in what she does. She's, she's hunting, she's teaching shooting sports all the way down to hiking and to, uh, be a naturalist. So it's, yeah. it's super fun to, to watch her, uh, to watch her spread her knowledge. And the other one we've also highlighted that you highlighted was Amanda Philippi mm-hmm. as well at Wildcat Hills, uh, nature center on the other corner of the state. So I'm always excited um, I'm very excited to see that over time, again, kind of back to my 16 years with the agency, how we have spread education across the state and the female voices, even the male voices. But, you know, at one time when I was originally hired, there was only like a couple educators and they were right here in the southeast part of Nebraska. Now um, they're spreading statewide, which is so we can um, see more faces, spread the word and and get that education out to to everyone, depending on no matter where you live. Yeah, we're bringing women to the table. We need to have a better discussion. We It's not that it's a bad discussion now, but we need uh, more diverse voices and uh, um, to just to have a better conversation than what we have now. Well, thank you, Monica, for all you did to to bring that up and to highlight those folks. Like you said, it is a very important conversation to continue having. Um, really, really appreciate you putting that together. have to ask, you know, what was your takeaway from writing the article? Was there a favorite part that you enjoyed writing about the most? Or is there something from the article that really inspired you in your day-to-day work moving forward? I just want uh, the world to know about all these women. So again, we hear about all the people that the forefathers of conservation, well, let's have that be the women of conservation and the women and the men of conservation. So both of us, um, like I said, we we just need to bring that to the table and have women be part of that discussion. And I think, uh, especially for younger 
girls. I want them to know that these are careers that they can do and it's not um, unattainable and it's not unachievable, especially in a career like this where it has been historically male dominated. I think that women can um, can dominate just as just as much as men. And I want to inspire young girls that uh, or even adults that want to maybe change their career, um, like the person that you talked about in your in Kansas. Um, and I want I want them to see that it's attainable and that they can do it. Mm, absolutely. Hey, Julia, can I give a quick shout out really quick? Absolutely. Go for it. So I am lucky enough to be a part of a program called um, Letters to a Pre-Scientist, LPS. And that is a program where um, it basically the, the point is to inspire students to explore a future in STEM. And so it connects students to STEM professionals, STEM being science, technology, engineering, math, through snail mail to broaden students' awareness of what STEM professionals look like and do at work and inspire all students to explore a future in STEM. So um, this is something that if you're in a STEM career field, you can go in and sign up for this program and you'll get matched with a pre-scientist student who may or may not have an interest in STEM and you can talk to them about what that career pathway looks like. And it's interesting, you know, um, for some of these students, if you ask them to draw a picture of what a scientist or a biologist looks like, they might draw a man in a lab coat. And then after participating in this program, their idea of what that looks like is broadened so much. So Monica, that, you know, what you said about what it looks like to be in this field, to be a conservationist, um, that's what made me think of this program. So um, if you're an educator and you're interested in enrolling the school in, in this program, or um, if you are in the STEM career field and you want to get matched up with a pen pal and write letters back and forth, um, it's, it's really not too much work and it's really, really rewarding on both ends. So check out prescientist.org and learn more about that program. That sounds amazing. Uh, I wish that could be like a national thing. It is national. Oh, it is? I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Do we do that in yeah, Nebraska? Sorry. I didn't explain it very well. No, but I think we're going we to have to look into that. That's I amazing. Like I love that. Yeah, it's super fun and it's really rewarding. Um, and you can, you know, sponsor classes and help pay for the cost of like stamps and education. You can Zoom with the classroom and talk about what you do face to face with your um, with your class. And then you also have that one on one letters back and forth with your pre-scientists. So definitely check it out. I like the snail mail concept, too, because, you know, at that age, honestly, even my age, I'm, I'm looking for mail that, like, is not a bill, right? And then oh the youth, yeah. they want something hard copy to listen or to, to read. And, and I think they connect much better with a hard copy of a letter or a printed picture. So I, I that's really cool. You're making those connections yeah, that's awesome. with the youth. Thank you, Monica, for um, not only like writing the article, thank you for what you do for the state of Nebraska, even at the national level, and, um, you know, in highlighting those women that um, I, I bet to venture that a lot of people read that article and did not have a clue at the phenomenal work that those ladies did. So for that, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great conversation. So if you're hearing this message, uh, you've listened to the entire episode. Woohoo! And for that, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you've enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, hey, will you please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you had just heard this episode in this podcast. Help us spread the word and get our voices out there. 
A special thank you as well to um, the organizations that make it possible for us to have these con- conversations and meet with so many wonderful, wonderful podcast guests, um, Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, Iowa Department of Natural Resources, and Kansas Wildlife and Parks. That's who employs us and uh, who allows us the time to do this, approves our timesheets, et cetera. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you to those groups. And of course, many of our guests come from within these organizations as well. So um, be sure to Google their web pages for resources ranging from purchasing licenses and permits to wildlife ecology, public land maps, and even statewide events, and so much more. Ladies and others, it's been a wonderful conversation today. Um, We really appreciate you tuning in, and until next time, we'll see you outdoors. Outdoors.